spoiler alert, this particular edition of Busting Blockbusters podcast is going to be spoiling events from Season 2, Episodes 1 through 4 of The Witcher on Netflix. If you haven't seen those yet, and man, I really don't know anybody who hasn't, but if you're one of those people who haven't, then stay away from this podcast until you've seen them, because I don't want to be the one to spoil you. You've been warned. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Busting Blockbusters. Did you not like the joke or did you just not like the way I delivered it? It's Geralt of Trivia. <laughs> Get it? Trivia? What do you call a witcher who has all of the answers? Hey, I've got a joke for you. And the joke is, welcome to Bustin' Blockbusters. My name is Matt Murdick. Thanks for joining me. By the way, Matt Murdick is a double M, but you can call me Matt. You can call me Hey You. All good. Today we're looking at The Witcher Season 2, and fortunately I won't have to do the entire podcast in reverse order, the same way Season 1 of The Witcher did the entire show, kind of in an out-of-order way. We've got a linear story for this season, so I'm going to talk about it, and we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to play some games, like uh, picking out who is the best beast, and there are some things for future podcasts that I also want to hear from you on. I'm going to be basically ranking all of the MCU movies. I'm not going to do the TV shows in there, I don't think. But I want to know what your rankings of these are so that I can share them with our listening audience too. So get to work on that. And I know it's probably been a while since you've seen all of them. You don't have to do an entire rewatch like I'm doing, but it would be handy if the just your favorites, maybe your top five, uh, that come to mind, if you would just send them to me. How do you do that? You send tweets to at Bust Blockbuster on Twitter, Bust Blockbuster on Twitter, or you can send emails to Matt's Audio Blog at gmail.com. That's M-A-T-T-S Audio Blog at gmail.com. And I will include them in what will probably be a series of podcasts ranking the MCU films, and probably not the television shows. Probably. I'm not sure yet, actually. So just whatever is your favorites of the MCU franchise things that have come out. Maybe you're an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. person. That's cool with me if you want to include that in yours, too. Or maybe WandaVision or maybe the Ten Rings little short that is out there. The standalone little short that is out there. Whatever really gets to you and makes your top five favorites, send them to me. Also want to remind you, there's lots of great stuff coming up all across the Double P Media Network, uh, Double P Podcast Network, I suppose I should say. DoublePmedia.com is where you find out about all of that stuff. Right now, you can check out Bubba and Catfish with a po podcast called Parsec Passion. And that podcast is a Star Wars podcast where they are covering the book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus right now, which as I am recording this, uh, just had an exciting new addition to the series that I think a lot of people feel like gave it a lot of life. Just remember that uh, they're covering that. Look for Parsec Passion wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can always check out everything that Double P Media is doing by checking out their Twitter at the word double, the letters PHQ. That's P for podcast, HQ for headquarters, at Double PHQ on Twitter. And remember, you must, must subscribe to the Double P Media YouTube channel because everything that they do is all in one spot. They put up videos for everything that they put out, including my silly stuff. Uh, you go to youtube.com slash C slash double P media, the word double, the letter P media, all strung together, double P media. Be sure to check out that YouTube. They're on a subscriber drive. They need to get to 2K. For some reason, 2K is important to them. So help them out and subscribe to that podcast. They also have contests for people who show them the fact that they've subscribed using a screenshot or, or whatever that demonstrates that they're subscribing or following, however you want to term it. I know that sometimes subscribe indicates that you're behind a paywall. You're paying a whopping 0.000 to be behind this paywall with me. But, you know, that's because I'm that's probably about what I'm worth. At any rate, uh, follow, subscribe to any Double P podcast, show them proof and submit them that proof. And maybe you could be entered into a contest, especially if you're listening to Parsec Passion right now and them covering the book of Boba Fett. Other things coming up later on this year for Double P Media, uh, the network will be covering uh, another interesting murder kind of series, I believe, called Magpie Murders, is something that Bubba is going to be doing. We will have The Last Kingdom Season 5, hopefully, come out this season or this year in 2022. And that usually is covered on the Double P Podcast feed. Uh, just look up Double P Podcasts in whatever app that you're using to get podcasts and subscribe there. You can also find me and Holly this year, assuming that His Dark Materials gets released this year, the season three, the third and final season, most likely of His Dark Materials, will be released. And Holly and I will be covering that on a podcast called The Dust. So look for that one. And of course, House of the Dragon is coming to HBO Max at some point this year. We've been promised by the teaser trailer 2022. So House of the Dragon coming out and you will want to subscribe to the Joffrey of podcasts. That's right. Joffrey, just like the character Joffrey in Game of Thrones, the Joffrey of podcasts. Look for that wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. And once again, all of these podcast episodes will be available to you on the YouTube at Double P Media this year. Again, that's youtube.com slash C slash the word double P media. Froze up there. At any rate, we're going to be getting into talking about The Witcher Season 2, Episodes 1 through 4. That's what we're going to be doing this time around. 1 through 4. And then we'll be doing another edition with the final four episodes, uh, the wrap-up of season two of the Witcher in the very near future. So please feel free to submit any thoughts so that I can get them out in the next podcast. If you weren't going to share them with me for this particular podcast, which how would you know that I was going to do this? I didn't even know that I was going to do this until I watched the Witcher season two and said, Hey, I should talk about that. 
And that's what we're doing right now. We're Like I said, we're going to be playing some games. I don't have any guests to play the games with, so it's going to be you and me. Mano y mano. You and me are going to be playing games together. And, you know, I won't hear your responses. And you may turn off mine. But, you know, that's the problem with me being the only one here. At any rate, I hope you'll stick around. Here we go. Let's start by rating these episodes first four episodes as a group not individually but as a group and to do that i'm gonna have to get to some episode metrics and man i am talking about some serious episode metrics like the s-i-b-c-a-n-w which stands for should it be called american ninja witcher i thought i was in a reality kind of competition show for a second or two during a couple of these episodes. How about this episode metric? The H-M-T-S-I-W-T-Y-S-B-T-S. How many times should I wager that Yennefer says bleep this season? She did her fair share of it in the first half of the season already. So how many more times do you think she'll do it? If you've already seen the total of the season, as I have, then you know. But, you know, who's counting? Anyway, I'm going to give this set of episodes, episodes one through four of the season two of The Witcher, I guess about an 8.5 out of 10, what I like to call double H's, horrible hedgehogs. That's right. Uh, that's what Siri called Neveland in one episode. Uh, she said that she knew a, of a story of a hedgehog man. So I'm going to go with that. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to try and say his actual name anymore. Also, because I don't believe that he actually really deserves to have his name called anymore. Uh, I'm just going to call him Sonic. And he's a pretty despicable character, more so as a human than as a hedgehog. But uh, it was cool to see uh, Tormund Giants Bane. Uh, completely unrecognizable, except for his voice. It still sounded like Tormund Giant Spain speaking through a, a hedgehog puppet to me. Nonetheless, 8.5 out of 10 uh, horrible hedgehogs. That's correct. And I want to know what you rated it. Give me your rating by tweeting to at busblockbuster on Twitter, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. I thought that this first half was much better than the whole of season one. I wasn't a really big fan of season one. Wasn't even sure if I was going to watch season two. Um, I, probably because of the, the way things that were so out of order and everything. And instantly, as soon as I recognized from episode one to episode two, that we were going in somewhat of a linear fashion. Maybe some of the storylines are going side by side at slightly different paces. I'm okay with that. It's just when you stick something that's totally out of context in the middle of the first episode, I, I'm not going to appreciate that as something that's cool at the end of the season i'm just not i'm gonna say you know wow you did that because you could it, that that was the kind of way that i was approaching season one this way i felt like the stakes were building i was developing more interest in the characters there was some good character development in these first four episodes as well 
And that all made me feel a lot better about the first four episodes of season two, as opposed to any of the episodes of season one, really. So 8.5 is not real high on my scale. As you know, I rarely give anything below a seven. If I have ever given anything below a seven, I must have really disliked the episode or the series or the movie or whatever I gave a 6.9 or lower to, uh, because it's almost impossible for me to give anything lower than a seven as catfish will attest to. How about we play a game now? And don't forget at bus blockbuster, tweet me your thoughts about my review of these first four episodes, but let's play a game, uh, here on the double B busting blockbusters. We also like to play the double B. The best beast. It's the best beast. Beast. All right. Now, this is a tough decision for me because, you know, I've not read any of the books. Just in case it's not obvious, I will be mispronouncing all kinds of names. Maybe I'll pronounce it right from the way I heard it on the television show. Maybe I won't pronounce anything right. Uh, you guys can, again, tweet to at Bus Blockbuster. And get at me on that or at double PHQ. If you don't want me to hear your complaints, just simply send them to them. But I don't have any real expertise in monsters either. They're generally not my kind of thing when it comes to fantasy. I'm, I'm more into the magic than I am to the monsters. And, you know, one M versus another doesn't really matter to me. But I have brought in an expert. And you may remember him from our Wheel of Time podcast. And if there's anybody who is an expert on monsters, it would be this guy. It's uh, Coach T. We welcome to the podcast. Coach T, thanks for joining us. You know better. It's Coach Trollock. I only answer to Coach Trollock anymore, especially since I've been fired from being the coach of the Trollocks. Uh, I find it particularly annoying when people call me Coach T. Uh, I am sorry, Coach Trollick. I apologize. I'll just call you Coach. Is that okay? That is perfectly acceptable, Matt. All right. Thank you very much, Coach Trollick. So we have four creatures, basically, maybe five creatures. I'm kind of iffy as to whether I want to call one a creature or not. Uh, I'll get to that in a second, Coach. But one thing that we need to talk about is uh, he's. I've been calling him Sonic. He's a hedgehog man. Uh, uh, Novellan, I think, is what they call him in the show. Yeah, he, I can kind of relate to Novellan. He, him and I kind of have a similar likeness to each other. And he, he's pretty cool, if you ask me. Okay. Well, that that's fine, Coach. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if he's a hedgehog or if he's a boar or if he's the beast from Beauty and the Beast. He's all kind of uh, wrapped up in one. It uh, turns out that his human form is probably more monstrous uh, than his monster form. He seemed to be pretty nice as a monster, uh, but as a human, didn't work so well. Well, Matt, that's been my experience in general. I feel like that uh, most humans are pretty mean. That's why I like to eat them. That's pretty much why I like to do that. Whoa, whoa, Co coach. Um, can, can can we get your mind off dinner for just a minute, if that's possible? So there, he's one of the monsters that we see in episode one. The other monster is the Bruxa. Oh, the Bruxa. 
What the hell is a Bruxa? I don't know. I'm from another world. Well, a Bruxa, I don't know. It's almost kind of like a vampire. It has to feed. I don't know if it necessarily needs blood. Uh, It has almost bat-like features when it's in its regular form, but it can also take a human form, as we saw in the case of Verena, who was really more or less, uh, I'll again call him Sonic, she was kind of Sonic's companion. She would feed on him at night, and because he was immortal, he'd just come back to life, and they seemed to be having a happy life together. I will tell you this uh, once again, Coach, that she felt scarier to me as a human than as the beast, because as a beast, you can clearly see that she is a beast and she is very much a threat to our characters. Uh, But there was some kind of creepiness about her when she was in a human form. She crawled around kind of like an insect. Uh, She was very twitchy. Uh, Her voice was scary just because it seemed so small uh, that all of that just totally creeped me out. Well, Matt, humans tend to creep me out in general, as you know. That's why, again, I need to eat them. Coach, coach. Okay, okay. That's that's great. We understand. Um, I'm glad that you are over there and I'm over here so that I don't have to uh, possibly get eaten by you. Those are the two from episode one. Then we get to episode two and we have what's called the Leshy, which is a creature that is a, a kind of a tree-like creature. But really, in this instance, we only see the result of it infecting the witcher's really good friend, Eskel. And so uh, the Leshy, uh, in Eskel form, uh, ends up doing a whole lot of damage uh, to the witcher homestead, and uh, Geralt has to end up, you know, killing his best friend, more or less. Um, You don't see the original Leshy that infected Eskel until episode three, but I'm just kind of classifying them all as the same beast. And then there's another one that I'm not real sure about. Well, now, hold on, Matt. Let me talk about this tree. Uh, As you know, being someone who is from the Blight and really enjoys a good scary tree like we have so many of them in the beautiful Blight. That's a double B, by the way. I think that uh, the Leshy's a beautiful creature. And uh, I'm not scared of it at all because it's so beautiful, which I suppose could be very deadly for me if I happen to live in that world. However, you know, I like to think that Trollocs are tougher than most of these uh, wimps uh, that keep you know, chasing these witchers around and the witchers keep chasing them around. It seems kind of pointless to me. Uh, Get an army together. Do the thing. That's what I say. You got to have a strategy. You got to win all three phases of the game. That is correct. That is correct, Coach Trollic. And there is another one that might appeal to you, although I don't know whether to call it a monster or not, because we have the the football episode. Oh, football. What are you talking about, football? Well, they it's when um it's when Jennifer and Frangilla and Francesca go to the hut hut. Oh, hut hut! I'm liking this. Well, hut hut is very good. Tell me more, Matt. Yeah. Uh. Well, I feel like the hut hut is the location where some kind of monster exists that is appearing in different forms to each of them 
in their kind of dreams, in their visions, so to speak. But I'm not sure whether it's really a monster or not. Uh, it could just be a magical involvement. Well, you had me at Hut Hut. I mean, this is clearly going to be uh, the number one creature for me uh, for this string of four episodes, Matt. Well, I should have figured as much, Coach. I certainly should have. Uh, the Myriapod is the creature that ends up taking out the Leshy and then chases Siri. That's in episode three. Now, as I understand it, it didn't actually get a name in the show, but they did release some promotional material for this creature before the season started. And the uh, Myriapod was what they called it. And perhaps I'm pronouncing that wrong because once again, I've never read any of the books. So I don't even know if this creature exists in the books or not. Uh, but it was available in promotional per uh, materials. It's M-I-R-I-A-P-O-D. And it looked kind of like, I don't, I don't know, a big praying mantis, except it was the wrong color. Um, it, it, it was very strange looking, very alien looking, uh, like it was from yet another different world from the world that we're in, in The Witcher. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm looking at this creature right now. Let me guess what happened here. Uh, it was trying to kill Siri, and then it got to looking into Siri's eyes, and it got kind of lovey-dovey, and that gave uh, the Witcher, what's his name, a chance to kill it. Well, that that's pretty much exactly what happened, uh, Coach Strahlik. You're You're pretty good at predicting outcomes there. Yeah, I feel like that uh, That was a pretty easy call. Uh, nothing like our Mydrolls that we have in uh, the Wheel of Time. Uh, Mydrolls are king, obviously. Uh, that's our former GM, uh, Mydrol Fade. Uh, he's very good at what he does, uh, except for the fact that he didn't keep me under his employment. Yeah, I'm terribly sorry about hearing about you, you becoming you being fired finally. Uh, coach, despite you calling into a radio show pleading for your job. That was not me. That was just someone named T. And you know how much I hate T. The name T, you call me Coach Trollick or you call me nothing. Well, you can call me Coach. Yeah, okay. Well, that that's all fine and well, uh, Coach. Myriapod, that's what we were looking at in Episode 3. And, of course, the original Leshy. Anyway... In the fourth episode, we get uh, my Star Wars monster, I'll call it. Uh, it's a, a sewer dwelling. Uh, it's tentacled. I think of it like the trash compactor monster in Star Wars. Star Wars? What the hell is Star Wars? I have so many of these wars that I keep missing out on. I, I need to get more involved, obviously. I've been so busy coaching Trollocs all my life that... I didn't realize there were all these other great wars out there. Maybe where I can kill somebody and eat them, right? Yeah, maybe so. But anyway, this creature is called uh, a Zeugi, a Zugi, a Zeugi. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Again, not a book reader. And I'm not in this world either. So I don't really know uh, what to tell you there about how to pronounce it. Uh, my whole aspect is if you're not willing to come up out of the water and really show yourself the, uh, you know, what's the point? Uh, it seems like a coward to me just hiding in the sewers and where, you know, it might get, uh, to eat. Ship ahead. Whoa, whoa, Coach Trollock. We can't say that here. Well, why not? I mean, if you were living in a sewer, 
One would think that that's what you'd be eating a lot. We can't say that four-letter word here. Well, you'll just have to bleep it out because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take anything back. It's coward. That Zugi's a coward. All right, Coach Trollick. So, which one would you choose to be your favorite beast of these first four episodes? Well, I've given it a lot of thought, and uh, whatever that thing that was in the hut hut, because you know I'm I'm all about football, and the hut hut seems to make a great way uh, to put a good monster, a monster after my own heart. So that's going to be my favorite. How about you, Matt? Well, I think I'm going to go the the Brooksa. I think, and and in the human form, I think that Verena in her human form uh, was way creepier. And I thought that that was a pretty good battle. And, and I loved the fact that, uh, you know, Sonic had to end up killing her in order to save his friend Geralt. Uh, and that kind of broke his curse, except that, you know, then we find out what the curse was originally about. And I'm not a big fan of uh, Hedgehog Man anymore either. Me either. Uh, although I will say once again that he looks a lot like me. I feel like we're. We have some similarities in looks, so I feel kind of a kindred spirit to him. He would be my close second, probably, of my favorite monster out of these four episodes. Uh, but uh, the Brooks is not a bad choice either. All right. Well, thank you, Coach Trollick, for joining me this time around uh, to talk about these creatures. Can we get you back next time uh, to talk about the last four episodes of Season 2 of The Witcher and the monsters that we might find within? Just don't make it boring. Peace out. All right. Thank you, Coach T. That's Trollic. Coach Trollic. Pardon me. Thank you, Coach, for joining us. And let's get into talking about the storylines of these episodes. It's a little thing that we like to call blah, blah, blah. Okay, Coach, uh, you're you're still here, and you shared your screen, and now all I can see is you. I mean, I can't see my notes. I can't see anything. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what to do here. Uh, you know, it's really hard for me to operate a computer with these hooves. It makes it a little difficult to find little keys and everything, or... To operate a mouse. Well, maybe you could just leave the call, and then that way you won't be here and you won't be sharing your screen anymore. Uh, where do I do that? Um, uh, Control-Alt-Delete? What, what do I do here? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, just just stay there. I'll, uh, I'll just put your audio on mute so that I can talk about the rest of this. Oh, that's fine. I'll... Maybe I can just shut the computer down or something. Well, what, whatever you feel the need to do, that's that's fine, Coach. Maybe I'll just stay here and listen. That That's fine, too. It won't ruin my video or anything. Well, I'm sorry. I, like I said, uh, I've never used a computer before. Well, it is kind of different from your technology, unless you were around back in the wheel of time when, you know, it was still the time of George Jetson. Well, I've heard rumors about that. I'm not sure how that works. Anyway, I'll be sure to be quiet. Just put me on mute. Okay. Thanks, Coach. All right. So, muting Coach Trollick here. 
And it's a shame that I can only see his face and I can't see my notes because I had all kinds of recap stuff and all kinds of great information for you. Uh, It probably would have amounted to about a four-hour podcast, though, so I probably should have not put that much into it. Instead, you're just going to get my general thoughts about each episode, some of the characters within. So we'll start with Season 2, Episode 1, A Grain of Truth. And, of course, one of the big themes of this episode is the overly obvious, because, you know, I'm Captain Obvious, or I have a keen insight into the obvious and a face for radio. Uh, But the obvious is the tropic question, what is the definition of a monster? And, of course, I'm speaking mainly about uh, Nevelyn, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, as I call him. Is that too dated of a reference? Does anybody remember the old Sega Genesis games anymore? Do they even exist? I don't know. I'll put it on the poll. As I've already said many times in this podcast, he was more monstrous as a human than as a beast. But he was a share, he was a bit of a beast uh, as a beast as well by the fact that he let all of those people die just because it filled a hole in his heart, I suppose, to have Verena around. The, the whole idea of a human being more monstrous than the monster they face, it's a very old trope, and it's been done many times. I thought it was done fairly well in this particular episode. Um, the other addressings of it in this particular episode, of course, is Sonic even questioning how are witchers monsters themselves that just kill other monsters, or Verena, who says to Siri, you know, is Siri a monster because she's so different? Another big theme in this particular episode is, of course, that everyone pretty much has a hole dug out of them in one way or another, a hole in their heart, uh, a sense of loss. Uh, obviously, Tessaia and Geralt uh, with the loss of Yennefer, because even though we know she's alive, they don't at this point in this first episode. And I really want to give a tip of the hat to Henry Cavill this season in general for all four episodes, because I got so sick of trying to interpret grunts in the first season. To be perfectly honest, it felt pointless. And I know that fans actually got into that a little bit for some reason. I don't know why, but there was the dialogue was so bad. And I, I don't know if the writing has improved this season, if that's what's going on, or if they're just allowing Cavill to to be a better actor. Because when he's walking away from Tissaia, I mean, that whole thing was just incredible. The, you, you see the pain welling up in him and the way that he forces it back down before he gets back to Roach and Siri. An amazing performance. And all throughout this first episode, um his perceptions of why is Sonic lying to me? Uh, What can I find out more about what Siri is saying? You know, what's the deeper meaning of that being a more like a dream, these visions that she's having. And uh, there's some funny bits too, which I loved how dryly it was said, but he, when he says, uh, you know, talking about his nightmare of an overly friendly rock troll, when it was at the fire with Siri. That that was fantastic. Also, the character, Geralt, 
has to focus on losses at uh, Kermoran for a moment. Also with Siri, he has to relive that part of his history. Uh, more emotion that he has to force down, more of a sense of loss, because that's that's what a lot of this episode does, more so than establish the characters' relationships and whatever. It's within each character we do find that hole dug out that I talked about before. The conversation over the Dr. Daggers, that's Double D, about Yennefer with Sonic also shows loss, how the loss has really dug a hole into Geralt. And of course, you know, the best way that Geralt can do in order to deal with this is to kill a monster, which he starts focusing on, uh, but the second half of the episode quite a bit. On the other hand, from that battlefield to Saya, uh, she tries to take it out on the prisoner that they have. Cahern? Is that how you say his name? I'm not sure. Um, she does manage, though, to uh, help Triss uh, feel a little better, which is good, I guess. Uh, we can talk more about that when we talk about other episodes. Now, uh, Siri obviously has a big hole dug into her as well. She's she's lost her home. She's lost her family. Um, she's not sure what her purpose is. She doesn't really have any sense of purpose. She's lost that. Um, Verena actually calls her alone in the heart, uh, which is horrible, horrible having that hole dug out of you like that. And, and then there is also a key line, uh, to Sonic, I guess I should say Neville and once in a while, but, uh, there's a key line to him that she says, like, what's it like being alone because of what you are? And this is her realization of how, even at the end of the episode, she tells Geralt how scared she is simply because, you know, she feels like she doesn't want to hurt anything or anybody, but uh, she may be very capable of it. And she she feels like that all of this stuff is her fault, which is yet another hole that she has to worry about. You've got Artorias, who's lost any hope for Fringilla coming back into the fold. And Fringilla herself, she's lost a battle. She's got great shame with her now. She's lost her emperor's army. There's a responsibility for that. So that's left a big hole in her. And perhaps, as we see through these other episodes, she's just worried about her general power and influence in the favor of the emperor as well. And, of course, going back to Nevelyn, to Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, he has lost an awful lot mostly because of his own despicable actions that we find out at the end of the episode, which is why he once again loses Geralt and Ciri as they just walk away. And he says, you know, if you want to take care of yourself, just do it yourself. But just his sense of loss uh, is what allows him to tolerate the Bruxa uh, killing him every night and to look the other way when she kills other people or, or things in the village or whatever, just to have some kind of companionship. And of course, Verena's love for him is actually what ends up curing him, which to me is a kind of a metaphoric thing of revealing the true monster, as opposed to the thing that we saw on the outside. Again, all of that tropic stuff is the monster on the inside 
greater than the monster on the outside. That's all fine and everything. A couple other quick mentions here. Mention of the wild hunt that Nivellan gives to Geralt as they're just after dinner or whatever. Um, that's something that we will follow through these episodes. And also, of course, Yennefer, who's not lost her life, not lost her mouth, evidently, uh, but she is in a bad spot. And at the end, she asks Fringilla to release her because she's more powerful than Fringilla is. But by the next episode, we know that it wouldn't have done any good anyway because she's lost her chaos, uh, which is the single most important thing to her, it's, it seems like, as we go through these four episodes. And I have to say, it was a good way to end the episode with an unknown assailant kind of coming down on Fringilla and Yennefer in the way that they did it. Uh, that whole more tropic face your fear stuff at the end, I don't know. Is that almost too fairy tale? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not here for a Dr. Seuss book. I'm here to watch a fantasy show, but that's fine. If you want to put those themes in like that and who is the greater monster, I understand you have to do it. I didn't find it annoying or bad. I just was having a moment of been there, done that. And I have to say that it was executed really well. So that's it for that particular episode. You know, let me just try one more time here. I'm going to unmute you, Coach Trollick. Coach, you still can't get out of the Zoom? Oh, I just don't know how to do that, man. I I can't seem to hit the right button to leave the meeting. I don't understand. Well, can you shut your computer down or something like that? Oh, how, how do you do that? Uh, does that require the use of a mouse or something like that? Well, I mean, can you unplug it? Unplug it? Oh, I've been told that unplugging a computer can sometimes damage the operating system if you just shut it down without it going through the proper procedures. And, I mean, I've got to keep this computer simply because I need to have it. It's the only thing that they let me leave with when I got fired uh, by General Manager Migel Fade, and I might need it in order to get some money, uh, I, and it's got to be in good working condition. I, I might need some money to buy some Camelin barbecue. Fine, fine, fine. Just, just stay there. I'm going to meet you back up. All right, so evidently we're going to just have to go off of my general ramblings once again of Season 2, Episode 2, uh, Care... Morin, I think is how you say that name. I hear it pronounced on the show all the time and still don't know quite how to pronounce it, but that's what I'm going with. Season 2, Episode 2, Care Morin. So I guess I'll continue with my rather broad and rather obvious themes that are pretty much going to go throughout this whole series, I think. But uh, we'll start with, again, this idea of loss, a lot of loss for our characters, even within this episode. But there's also ways that you're starting to see how our characters might start to fill that void as well. And not all of it's good, but it's almost like if you looked off to one horizon, you saw these characters coming at you with loss, and you look at the other horizon on your opposite side, and you saw some of the things that might fill those voids. And I don't know, as we get these two paths closer together, you might see that 
some of the things are actually on both sides. They just didn't realize that they were right next to each other at the time. Uh, there's a good riddleish way to make myself sound right about everything. But in terms of the loss and trying to fill that void, let's just, first of all, just look right at this dream that Yennefer has at the beginning, right off the top. And how Geralt is there and... Uh, they seem to be having a family. Uh, she basically calls it nonsense within the dream. Uh, but maybe that is pointing more towards this larger thematic thing that we even see beginning in this episode. And that is of family itself. It's kind of a way for our characters to fill that kind of void that they've been having. And even in this, it's pretty directly maybe metaphorical in a way. I mean, he calls their baby a her and instantly my mind goes to Siri and maybe this is some possible foreshadowing or maybe it's just to I present the idea um, that having family as a theme, even just for this episode, can help to fill some of those voids because that's exactly what we see with the Witcher when he returns home to uh care Morin is the fact that he's returning to what he knows as family so the theme of family's very big here of course Yennefer hasn't lost everything yet as we see her at the beginning of the episode she certainly hasn't lost her mouth um I think two eps in a row here where when she wakes up the first word that comes out of her mouth is bleep and uh, I find that funny. I even really found it funny uh, when Frangilla said the same thing as she's looking out the wagon there. And Yennefer says something about it being the first genuine thing that Frangilla has said. Uh, I found that quite funny. But you think about the lost side for Yennefer. And um, uh, of course, we get the confirmation that she has lost her magic. And what is she going to do to fill that void? Well, she evidently doesn't think that this dream that she's having is going to do it. And she is the one who kind of resists the overall temptation of the visions that her, Frangilla, and Francesca are all having. There's there's lots of people, including Frangilla and Francesca, who feel like they've lost stuff themselves. Uh, Frances Francesca, uh, the, the loss of the elven civilization. The fact that they can't seem to reproduce any new elves. That's awful. And Francesca asks Yennefer if she has shed a tear for anything elven. So that represents the amount of loss that Francesca is feeling and the resentment that she's feeling. Um, the visions that are shared by Frangilla, Francesca, and Yennefer are all offerings of hope. I suppose, in the face of the void that each of them has within them, even if they are probably false hopes, because I believe Yennefer is correct in identifying anybody who lives in a hut in some kind of weird dimension. You don't really want to mess with them too much. Now, for the Witcher, um, his way of filling his own void, and he's got a pretty big void going on right now, uh, one of his old friends, he turns out to be a rapist. And even though he was probably headed that way 
anyway, because that's evidently what they do. They winter up here at Care uh, Morin, the, the spa. I'll just call it the spa from now on, so I don't have to mispronounce that name anymore. Uh, but he's coming home to his own kind of family, a way to fill his own loss, because uh, Vesemir uh, really seems like a father figure to all of them. Uh, at the same time, uh, he has to deal with some loss right there because of what happens to Eskel becoming infected by the Leshy. Um, that's another really tough blow for him. And it, it's definitely a hard choice, I would think, if you're looking at it from his shoes, to have to choose between someone like your father figure in Vesemir and someone who's like your brother in Eskel. And I really think it's a shame that we never really get to see the real Eskel in this episode, uh, rather than this infected, uh, more or less bleephole, uh, that he has become. One of the ways that Geralt f ends up helping to start to heal himself is through his talks with Vesemir and understanding that by helping to train Ciri, that is accepting her the same way that Vesemir accepted him, and that will help, hopefully, fill the void as well as for her it will kind of fill a purpose for her because that's one of the things that she's feeling a loss for and she's also obviously wanting to feel a sense of belonging when you see her the way that she's watching that clan of witchers as they're having a party you can almost see that she wants that part of her life back the part that she's lost it's a, a need for belonging also, but even a hint of wanting to train uh, to help fill that void that she has, the void of a sense of purpose. She wants to find a, a sense of purpose, and we get more motivation for this wanting to train and everything in later episodes, and I'll address those then. Even though it's kind of an interrogation when Vesemir and, and Siri are in that I don't know, memorial area, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it almost feels like Vesemir is is becoming uh, uh, Grandpa V. Can I put it like that? I don't want to say Uncle Vinny, uh, but Grandpa V maybe, uh, because he's really giving her a sense of what it takes to belong where they are. And it, it helps her kind of get the idea that this is where she wants to be. Now, Obviously, the real kicker in terms of loss and how to fill that void is this deathless mother, uh, one of many real names that the Hut Hut creature has. But the deathless mother seems to be bringing up everyone's loss when they're visited through dreams, both outside whatever her dimension is, and especially once she's in the hut, because you have Francesca's need to restore her people. And they go through the whole thing about this child that you're carrying will be born live. Uh, they've all been stillborn, I guess, in the past. And Frangilla uh, needs a sense of remaining in power uh, because she has all of these remembrances of the way that she was tortured when she didn't. And, of course, Yennefer's need is for chaos. It's a desperate need. You see how much it affects her at the end of the episode. Uh, because it's the only thing that has ever made her feel powerful in a lot of ways. Uh, and everybody kind of gave in 
to this deathless mother, except for Yennefer. Uh, and the deathless mother says that she needs to bake more. So uh, that's very Hansel and Gretel, uh, as if the hut hut whole thing was not enough, but hut hut on legs too. Well, that's kind of weird. That's how it shows you the door. Pretty wild, man. We'll get more into that in the next two episodes as well. I personally, just in terms of general thoughts, love the deeper look into the elves this episode. Um, and there was something else interesting here. Neither the elves nor the Leshy can reproduce at the moment. That's what we hear from Vesemir about the Leshy. That's what we hear from Francesca and the Deathless Mother in terms of the elves. And thus, these races are dying out. Now, do we want to make some kind of connection here? I, I think we can address this um, in later episodes, but uh, I think it's also a question to keep in mind. If nothing else, if it could be just framing the fact that uh, there are connections all over the place in terms of how part of this world is dying. When you're framing that question, also keep in mind this, that Eskel had said that this particular Leshy did not seem like other Leshies. I don't know how many Leshies that Eskel had encountered before, but he said it wasn't like any other Leshy. And I didn't get what that meant exactly, but I'm just wondering if it's some kind of uh, other kind of connection in the fact that this might not be the same creature they're used to fighting. Something else to keep tucked away in your mind is when Yennefer and Frangilla see the walls inside the elven structure and see some type of connection between the monsters and the conjunction, which seemed a very weird kind of association to make, but they, they talk about them almost like they're being connected, but that's what's being depicted in these images that they're seeing on the walls or the etchings that they're seeing in the walls. And finally, I guess my last thought about this particular episode is I found at the end the intercutting between uh, Geralt beginning to train Siri and Yennefer feeling the loss of her own magic. I found all that very moving. And I think that that was partially helped by uh, Joe Trapanese's score in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm not doing a music segment today, uh, but so far, the score has been pretty darn good for all four of these episodes. So just wanted to give a shout out to that. I felt like the music really helped a lot of the emotional moments in this particular episode. And even some of the, you know, the if you're into the smash boom bang thing, which I'm not. Uh, but those all have generally have to be scored in some way too, including when not to do a score. Uh, so all of that was great. Let's move on to episode three here. It is titled, What is Lost? What is lost is lost. We hear the word lost a lot in this particular episode. And I guess I should go back to the last episode and just mention that as far as like Lambert and Cohen and the other witchers go, they, they were all right last episode, I suppose. Maybe a little lecherous, a double L. Uh, but this episode does focus on what is lost, just as the title suggests. And sometimes what isn't lost as well. Like you have to say his list, which I guess is permanent. It doesn't seem to have some kind of eraser on it. Even though Yennefer does actually come back 
you know, quote unquote home, so to speak. And by the end of the episode, then she's back on the run again. So I guess to the council, maybe Yennefer is kind of dead anyway. So she can keep her to say it can keep her little book going just fine the way that it is. The other way that things are lost is Geralt convinces uh, Vesemir to finally let go of Eskel and put him to rest. You have Triss accepting that she needs to find a new way forward. And by the end of the episode, she's been sent away. You wouldn't know where yet as of this episode, but we will see in the next episode where she ends up. A very familiar place. And uh, Yennefer uh, is also trying to deal with the loss of her chaos, of course, uh, which Tissaia, uh has come to realize. And I'll get more on that in just a f- couple of minutes. Ciri's the big one. Um, some of the things that she has to lose in this episode is her fear in order to conquer that American ninja witcher, haha, gauntlet. Uh, and she has to learn to trust her own instincts also, uh, in regard of that pull that she keeps getting when basically when something bad is going to happen. And in this particular case, it's the, uh, the Leshy and the Myriapod. One of the things about the training that I did love, and I'm kind of going to go off on tangents here, I guess, but I love how she just kind of gradually earns the respect of like Lambert and Cohen and the way that he pushes her. It's kind of a big brother, little sister relationship as opposed to her and Geralt's more of a father-daughter relationship. All of that training stuff, all of the way that was shot was just awesome. Um, I did watch the making of episode that they have out there on Netflix as well. And they actually show them shooting that shot where the camera is actually following Siri as she falls. And uh, Freya uh, did at least one of those takes by herself. They did have them hooked up on harnesses, so it's not like they were falling at any great real speed or anything or that her hitting the ground was actually hurting her that much but it did turn out looking so cool uh, i just love how shots like that end up turning out uh, plus all of the music for the training stuff is really great uh, so i love that and like i said lambert and cohen play the perfect older brother roles they just keep pushing her uh, first out of a lack of acceptance and then uh in a way to almost kind of root for her which is great just seeing the way that she gains everybody's respect and by the end all of the witchers are hoping that she passes except for uh Geralt who offers that funny little line so close she was she was so close and uh a, a big moment i guess towards all of the themes that we've talked about does come in that conversation between Tissaia and Yennefer uh and she talks about that void that she feels that emptiness the hole in her and the need to fill it with magic because she thinks that she's lost all other ways to fill it. Just like when she was having that dream about Geralt and being pregnant, she just basically called that, you know, BS. Uh, and, and another great moment towards all of these themes that we've talked about so far is the Witcher, you know, getting Siri to help him on that hunt for the Leshy. Uh, and she gets to you know, feel her purpose and, and face her fears there. So that's fantastic. 
couple of other odd points about this particular episode. Is there any more direct call out of a of a system that seems to validate white men and their stupid feelings of superiority over women uh, than Stregobar, you know, essentially raping the mind of Yennefer? That was disgusting. Um, the only thing that rivals that in this episode, and they, I can't believe they put two of them in this episode, but uh, that Nilfgaard general uh, is obviously a racist, uh, doesn't like Fringilla very much, and on top of that, doesn't uh, like elves at all, evidently. You get Istrid back, uh, and he's back in the mix, and um, the problem is is that he kind of gets thrown into that whole council political stuff just as soon as he's back, and that's probably my least favorite stuff in all of, really, this whole season's storylines, except maybe when it crosses paths with characters that I'm interested in, like the whole Yennefer thing in this episode with Stregobor. Again, I was totally disgusted and appalled. Um, Tessaia and, and Vigilfors trying to get into the council, I mean, that just doesn't give me that much to get on the edge of my seat about. Um, Stregobor's racism... Again, kind of does, though, uh, because it just makes me mad. And I guess he's got a reason to have a grudge with the whole, you know, hands getting burnt off thing. Um, But it's still no excuse for doing what he did to Yennefer and definitely not even for the verbal attack he kind of puts on the elves and on their past. The thing I don't get is that you know, the way that he gets Yennefer to the place where he does is he touches her. So how is he doing that without any actual hands? Uh, I, I don't understand that part. Somebody help me out there. The other thing that I guess, if you are one of these people that are interested in the political intrigue, um, there, there's certainly reasons to have a little bit of political intrigue in this. It's just something that doesn't really interest me. But... If you do follow that kind of stuff, who was Vigilforce, you know, talking to? And what were they really talking about when uh, Yennefer kind of overheard them through the hallways? That was kind of interesting, I guess. Um, With the titles on, you hear something about desperate and, uh, you know, do you want me to do this? And I couldn't really make anything else out in the titles that's all they really say so that's a mystery yet to find out what that's about um on the other side over on Nilfgaard with Francesca and Frangilla uh you have that's a double f by the way you have them getting their terms together I guess so to speak so um Deathless Mother uh at Hut Hut is definitely getting something out of this you can bet if it's by the fact that they're so willingly just playing along with it. Um, I guess she's still having to let uh, Yennefer bake a little bit, but nonetheless, uh, she does pay her a visit and say, Hey, you're kind of in desperate need here. Uh, why don't you say those words to me? Which I don't think Yennefer should do, but uh, we'll see what happens as time goes on. I guess, again, the stuff that really interested me least was the monster stuff and really even Yennefer's escape at the end. They were just action set pieces, more or less. 
not invested in the Leshy, not invested in this Myriapod at all. Um, or I guess you could pay attention to the fact that the Myriapod hesitated. It didn't kill Siri right away. And the, the stuff with Yennefer escaping, you got to get her out of there somehow. So interesting bedfellow that she's made here with Gaharn. Is that how you say his name? I'm not sure. When action pieces like that or like the monster chase, the monster hunt, uh, when they are in support of character, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to them, but I appreciate them more simply for the fact that lots of people like to say, well, nothing happened in this episode. And I'm telling you that nobody does an episode where nothing happens. There'd be no point of making the episode if nothing happened. You don't need action in every episode of television. Um, sometimes good stuff can happen without a lick of action. That's enough about that, I suppose. I've gotten off my soapbox and I'm ready to move on to Season 2, Episode 4. Redanian Intelligence. Hope I'm pronouncing that country's name right. I think I am. And we get Triss almost right off the bat after we do get some big-time training for Siri. Uh, and so now we know, of course, where Triss was sent to. But I've been talking about these themes the entire podcast regarding the holes within us and how we can fill them and family, the people with the void, how to fill it back up. And with Siri, she's been invited by Vessier and Geralt to help her with her magic, like Mouse Sack, which is a restoration of a family thing there. Kind of, that was kind of sweet. And then with, Geralt, she knows how he's hurting, that he feels real emotion and all of that stuff. She recognizes his void, and that actually makes her feel something. She's been having her own void, and she wants them to spend the night in each other's company. And, of course, he refuses, but their conversation later about needing to feel something again and how some wounds can't be healed, but finding value in yourself is important. And that's all part of becoming whole again. And Jennifer's still having a, a tough go with the loss of her power. And, and now Kahir, he knows about it too, as does uh, Jaskier. Jaskier returns. Uh, and in a way, for a moment, even just the memory of the way they went back and forth, their kind of animosity towards each other helps fill a little bit of the void for her. He's obviously feeling his own void regarding Geralt, you know, and, and that heartbreak. They talk about that. Actually, there's a point in this episode where both even Kahir and Yennefer make their point about having purpose after loss. And that comes back home with Yennefer and Jaskier. That that was a great reunion. Um, funny. And it was heartwarming. I don't really care for... Uh, Jaskier that much. Um, his whole motivation of being the Sandpiper is ultimately kind of self-serving, you know, preservation of the artists, i.e. himself. But it was still a good speech against the injustices of the world that he lives in and naturally a nicer kind of meta point about the world that we live in as well. And uh, Jaskier kind of in his own selfish way 
sums up both his fear and her fear about the voids, which is who are we when we can no longer do the one thing that we were put here to do, right? And I love that Yennefer has found a response for that. Although it's a little bit timid, she just says, find a new and better purpose. Um, so both Kahir and Jaskier are helping her find herself as well. All of the stuff with Jaskier was kind of beautiful and always, always uh, funny. I'm not that big a fan of the character, actually. He's kind of a jerk most of the time, but I liked him in this particular episode. Back to Yennefer and can you hear, uh, you know, th their adventure together is weird. It's kind of adversarial. It's also kind of an alliance, an uneasy alliance. But as they say, just in terms of events in the episode, you know, we have the E.T. alligators in the sewer, except this is uh, the Ziugi that we talked about before. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Uh, it's the Star Wars trash compactor monster. Uh, it's That's basically what it was, and it was pretty boring. Except for the fact that it took my favorite character out of the four of them out. That guy that uh, had hopes for building a new life, finding a new purpose himself. And at least at the end of the episode, that one elf that let this guy die, basically sacrificed himself and just ran off. Uh, this guy ended up sacrificing himself for the cause of helping other elves get to safety. So that was a nice turn of events. Um, felt really bad for the one elf who was so demeaned in the street by that one, uh, I guess it was a Redanian guard uh, that made that guy, you know, wet himself in the street. That was just awful. It was such an uncomfortable scene. Um, so dehumanizing. Uh, and or de-elfenizing, I guess you would say. Uh, but yeah, that was just awful. I know I've already said that I don't care that much about the political stuff. And really this, the whole point, I guess, of even having the scene with the king and uh, Dijkstra at all at the beginning was to point out that now that Sintra isn't being controlled by anybody except uh, Nilfgaard, maybe they need to think about taking it over. Um, again, that stuff doesn't really matter that much to me, but I do love Graham McTavish um, from all kinds of things. You probably know him from the Hobbit movies or Outlander. Uh, he's also going to be on House of the Dragon, and I appreciate the kind of thing he does. That That drunken, rambling, kind of crazy scene where he's plotting to get an elf into Sintra. That was just crazy great. I mean, it's just so insane. The way he's talking uh, is amazing. And as a result, we also get Dara back. We see that Dara gets freed from the cells there and gets ends up on the same boat as uh, Kahir. So that's interesting there. And obviously he's going to be the spy for these guys, I guess. Like I said, the political stuff doesn't really matter that much to me. A couple other quick notes. A lot of the stuff up at the Witcher Lair uh, revolves around the Myriapod mystery, a double M. Um, that gets addressed when Geralt uh, shows the head to Triss, and she does an experiment, and it's not made by a mage. Um, the Myriapod uh, and the Leshy 
have evidently come from the, a singular monolith. And of course, Cirilla knows all about monoliths <laughs> and how to destroy them. Uh, and when she touches the dust, she actually has this vision. And the vision looks like this strange land or an alien place. Um, pretty weird looking place. So that makes me wonder, could these monsters, if they're coming from this monolith and she touched the monolith and all of a sudden she's transported into this strange place, could these monsters also be alien from a strange place? And think back to the second episode, I think it was, when we were looking at those murals or etchings that were in that elven structure and Frangilla and Yennefer were noting that there seemed to be some kind of connection between the conjunction and the monsters themselves. So those are all points that are leading towards a, a bigger plot line, obviously. And as a result of all of these things about the Myriapod, we also get another good uh, portal. And, and this time it's to uh, Eastred. Uh, we end up having Geralt go to Eastred, which uh, portals are always funny. <laughs> the way they make people sick. And uh, that, that was funny to see Geralt's reaction. He took it pretty well. And just a couple other small points about this episode. There's another quick mention of the Wild Hunt uh, from that crazy bell ringer near the beginning of the episode. And uh, also the mystery at the end of it. Who took Jaskier? I mean, do we care? Uh, that's all for the next episode, which we will cover in the next podcast, uh, where we do episodes five through eight. Oh, yeah. And there you go. Right as I finish my analysis, when I don't need those notes anymore, suddenly now Coach Trollock's computer does manage to leave the meeting. And you can see me again if you're on YouTube. It's perfect timing, you have to admit. And if you believe that that was timed out in that way on purpose, uh, you're probably right. And if you believe that it's just a happy coincidence, then you probably know that I have a bridge somewhere that I would like to sell you. <laughs> That's it for the analysis part. Let's move on to what's worse. What's worse. And normally we do this, you know, debate style where I argue aside and somebody else argues aside, but there's nobody else here to argue aside. It's just you and me, mano y mano. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these on the poll for you to vote on. And if you want to send me tweets with your arguments as to why you think something's worse, feel free to. Or if you want to talk to me about any of my analysis here, feel free to. Please tweet to at bust blockbuster on Twitter at bust blockbuster on twitter you can send emails to matt's audioblog at gmail.com m-a-t-t-s audioblog at gmail.com let me know what you thought of the witcher in general give me any thoughts that you have things that you think that i missed i want to hear it i want to share it with our listeners in our next podcast which will cover episodes five through eight of season two it'll probably be out in about two weeks so as soon as you see this or hear this particular podcast Please start sending in that stuff so I can be sure to include it when I record the next edition of this coverage. Getting back to our what's worse question, we'll just again put these on the poll for you to vote on since I don't have anybody to argue with here. 
what's scarier, or actually, what's the scarier sight? The hut hut that has four basilic legs or a leshy that has your friend's face? Ooh, that's a tough choice. What's worse? Um, who is worse is my second and final what's worse question for this time around. Uh, the racist Stregobor or that racist Nilfgaard general whose name I don't even care to learn. It's kind of a really serious one. But what's worse? Let me know. Vote on the poll or uh, send me your arguments by tweeting to at Blockbuster or sending the emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. And because I said all of that stuff, there's no real reason for me to plug anything else at the end except remember, at the word double, the letters PHQ on Twitter. That's where you can find all of the podcasts that are coming out for Double P Media this year as they're getting ready to come out or the current episodes that are out right now. You need to follow them. And remember, you can find everything else at doublepmedia.com. Please, if you are listening to any of the Double P podcasts, including this one, Busting Blockbusters, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, having subscriptions are great. If you can leave written reviews on a particular platform and you haven't done so yet, I'm begging you to. Even if it's not even a, the most positive of reviews, we still want to know what you think of the show, and we want you to let other potential listeners know what you think of the show. So that's important. Leave reviews, hit that subscribe button, tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, and whatever that shampoo commercial was many, many years ago that probably most of you don't even remember because you weren't born yet when it was out. But at any rate, just uh, tell tell a, tell a friend about uh, this particular podcast or any Double P podcast. Help us grow. Remember to subscribe to that YouTube. Please subscribe to the YouTube. They're on a... 2k fun, uh, drive they want to get to 2000 subscribers um it seems important to bubba and catfish so please hit that subscribe button and screenshot your subscription and send it to bubba and catfish by tweeting to at the word double the letters phq that's p for podcast and hq for headquarters that's it i've rambled enough thanks for listening and i'll be back i like i said in about two weeks with the wrap-up for season two of The Witcher. I'm Matt. Take care.